Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day eight of the 7 a.m. Novelist March March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we hear about an author's journey from Anjali Mitterduva. She's both an author and a soon-to-be publisher, so we're going to hear about both sides of that story. Good morning, Anjali. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on our show. Anjali is an Indian-American writer who was raised in France. Her first novel, Faint Promise of Rain, set in 16th century India, was shortlisted for a William Sarayan International Prize for Fiction. He's also one of my favorite writers. Uh, she has been a finalist for the Massachusetts Cultural Council Artist Fellowship. She is a fiction co-editor at Solstice Literary Magazine and instructor at Grub Street and the co-founder of the Arlington Author Salon. She is also the co-founder of, can you pronounce this for me, Chandika? Chandika. Chandika, thank you. A nonprofit organization dedicated um, to India's classical Kathak dance. Along with Henriette Lazarita, she is now launching a new publishing company called Galliot Press. So Anjali, you're a busy lady. <laughs> I've got a few things <laughs> going on. This, <laughs> this, watch this. So she's going to be talking to us about both her writer's journey and then her decision to be launching this new press. Um, Anjali, start us off. Where did you begin on your writing journey? I began in a non-traditional way, I guess. Although there's so many ways now, I don't know what's traditional anymore. Um, but I did not. I did not begin. I did not start out planning to be a writer, even thinking of being a writer. Um, but I did come from a writerly family. And so that kind of planted some seeds and some enjoyment of writing and some uh, feeling that writing was a worthy pursuit, uh, which I know is something that some families don't necessarily instill yeah. uh, in their children. So uh, my mother was a writer, is a writer, and my grandfather was a poet. Um, and as it turns out, my brother uh, became a writer as well. He's a, a journalist. I'm going back a little bit because this is going to tie into sort of my journey, but I am I'm half Indian and I am half Jewish American and I grew up in France. And um, while I didn't realize it for a long time, I think this multiplicity of identities and, and backgrounds actually has tied into pretty much everything I've done. Um, and now, now that I realize that, I'm sort of fully embracing it. So I ended up doing like a multidisciplinary college degree in um, international uh, development planning. And, uh, and then I went on to become an urban planner uh, and to work in infrastructure planning, which also brings in, you know, civil engineering and some architecture and some, you know, dealing with businesses and with government and with communities. And, and I really enjoyed that aspect of working with a lot of different types of people on a single project and getting the different perspectives. So, okay. So, you know, I enjoyed writing and my, my college classes and then my work involved a fair amount of writing, but it was just in the context of work. And then in 2001, um, I traveled to India, took my husband uh, who had never been. And we went to uh, this little village in, uh, what's well, not a village. We used to be a village. It's a city in the desert of Rajasthan called Jaisalmer, which is a fabulous place and which I'd been as a kid. Um, and when we came back, I really wanted to retain some element of the warmth and the color and the culture. Uh, and I enrolled in a classical Indian dance class. Uh, and it was, it's a class, it's a type um, of dance called Katak. 
And, you know, now that I think about it, it's actually the only type of Indian classical dance that merges both Hindu and Muslim um, oh. traditions and aesthetics. Yeah. And that's what it makes it differentiates it from the other from the other styles and so um and I just fell in love with the class I just fell in love with being in the studio and the dance and the rhythms and the the storytelling so it's a storytelling classical dance it used to be that um you know traveling minstrels would bring the stories to uh, to people and in 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 learning this dance and learning its history I got inspired to actually write about it and to um to to write the story of the dance but in a fictional way and with fictional characters but to kind of trace the evolution of this dance and how it parallels the history of india in in originally a set of four books so i went from you know not writing not writing fiction never taking taking fiction classes to bam like in the course of three or four months as i was writing the copy for the website for the nonprofit that i founded around this dance Mm-hmm. Um, deciding I'm going to write four books. So I started uh, with the writing the first one, and this was 2003. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do. And I started with research uh, and researching 16th century India and traditions. And I had, you know, I had entry points because I, I know a bunch about Indian, especially Hindu Indian culture. Um, so I didn't feel too... Um, I didn't feel removed or or too hesitant because I did have that sort of cultural component. But there was a lot of research, you know, and I spent a long time because I didn't know how to structure a story. I didn't know. I, I knew where one of the things that helped me was that it was historical fiction. And so there was a skeleton of history on which to hang my story. Yeah. And I knew because I was trying to tell the story of this dance, I knew kind of what the, the end of this story was going to be. I mean, I think this is so much of what a lot of people do is that, you know, there's a there's a certain tradition that, you know, I actually went to to get my MFA right after college because I just didn't know what else to do. I was like, (laughs) this is what I'm supposed to do as a writer. I got an MFA. I was one of the youngest people in the program. I actually think that that was kind of a problem because I've been paying catch up ever since. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Yeah. Um, But a lot of then you have a lot of um, older writers who, particularly women, um, who have their children have reached a certain age, a certain time in their careers, and something catches them, some story catches them that they want Mm -hmm. to, to go into. And so not only is it the historical research of the story that you have to do, but then even as a reader, you've been reading your whole life and you're like, okay, wait a minute. How do I do this? How do I do this? So what yeah. sources did you go to, to get, to kind of learn? Yeah. Form? A lot of people just kind of, I feel like a lot of people just do it thinking there's not even anything to learn, which is also a problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so what, what did you go to, to kind of get you over that step and make you confident to get a story out there? Yeah. Well, I got kind of a, a sort of kick in the butt by the fact that uh, three, three sort of three messy chapters in, um, I had my first child. Uh, or I was, I learned that I was pregnant with my first child. And then I told myself, I need to get enough done on this project that I will, I know that I will come back to it after this child is born. Um, and so I really spent, uh, the next few months instead of looking for another freelance gig, cause I'd been doing some freelance work, uh, focusing on just trying to get enough done what I, what enough was, I didn't know, but um, and so, uh, so I got to chapter six before my kid was born 
And um, that was mostly just muddling around on my own. But after my child was born, after a few months, and she was a wonderful napper, so I got to write while she was napping. Uh, and it's not that simple, actually. People always say, oh, write when they're napping. And I just made it sound super glib and easy, but it wasn't. Um, but anyway, and then I thought, okay, I, I, need, I need help. Like I need, I need. And so I actually enrolled in my first writing class, which was a Grub Street. I'm fortunate enough enough to live in Boston and have access to Grub Street classes. And uh, also was fortunate enough to have neighbors who would take my kid um, and uh, before, because my husband didn't get home in time uh, for me to leave and go to downtown Boston. And I took my first class and it was amazing. And from that, that really, um, it was the first time I read work aloud to yeah. anyone, which was terrifying, um, but also wonderful. And I took the 10 week class. And after that, I met, I met somebody from the class um, and a few of us actually decided to continue on our own uh, and meet. And we've been doing that. So that was 2007 yeah. and we still meet 2023. Uh, we've been meeting pretty much. What? I think I know some of these folks. You do, you do. Um, yeah, Crystal King is one of them and um, Jennifer Dupi and Henriette Lazaridis now. So um, yeah, the core original members of the group have been meeting for all these years now, uh, pretty regularly, like every two or three weeks and sharing work. And that was huge. That was, um, and then, you know, I took some more grub classes and I just, um, uh, I did a ton of reading. I read all, you know, I've been reading all the books and I just, I learned by doing and it was messy and it was hard and it took forever. And um, I had to go back and deconstruct and reconstruct as I learned things. Um, anyway, long story short, um, I the book came out in um, 2014. So that's 11 years from first scribbles to getting it out there. And a lot of the four years of that was just trying to get it published. Um, and I tell people, people ask me, well, how long does it take once you really start, you know, going into this writing thing and taking it seriously? And I tell them 10 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had people always ask, how long did it take you to write the book? And it's like, well, the actual writing or like the writing and the getting over of your own self-doubts or the writing and the self-doubts and the getting an agent or the, you know, like what is what what is called writing the book? Yeah, and um, you were also learning the craft, right? A lot of people do do that in, yeah. their, in their first books, learning the craft as they're doing it. So, so ten years. Um, just to, I, I think that idea might panic some people. Like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, it's somebody in the comments is saying that. <laughs> but I'm actually, yeah, Kim. Um, but I'm also, I, I think hopefully it also might might slow some people down and also make people because some people have been working on their books for a very long time and again it, it's a it's a big learning process particularly yeah. for your first book because you're learning you're learning the craft as well I did once have to I was working with a, a wonderful um a memoir writer he was 77 years old and he asked me how long it's going to take and I did not oh god <laughs> I, didn't, I think I didn't tell him 10 years don't say 10 years I, I was like that's not that's not going to work um, yeah well so you know, my second book, because that book came out in 2014. Um, and guess what? It was with a hybrid press. Yeah. Um, so uh, she, writes press. she writes press. Yeah, it came out with She Writes Press. And, you know, it was a fairly unconventional book. And this this sort of jumps forward uh, to why I'm starting a, a press on my own. But it was a book that um, people didn't know 
how it was going to sell. It was like, it was different from what was out there. And to me, that's good. You want different, you want new, you want to expand horizons. Um, But publishers didn't know if it was going to sell. And, you know, this is 16th century India and this dance and these characters with these foreign names and all this stuff, which luckily some of that is changing, but it's slow. And, you know, 10 years ago, it was still a big issue. People would say, we already have an India book. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how many U.S. books do you have? I mean, I didn't say that, but. Yeah, but that's what, yeah. 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 So while I was trying to get the book out there, trying to get an agent, trying to get it published, I started the next one because I had this plan. Right. So um, so I started researching and writing the next one, which takes place 300 years later and involves actually a lot more research. Um, And while I and this time I was kind of panicked because this time I knew what I didn't know. (laughs) I knew there was so much I didn't know. I didn't have the freedom of my first book where I was just like, I'm gonna write this story. Um, And so I spent a lot of time doing research and I traveled to Lucknow, which is a city in India I had not been to. I waited to travel until I had actually a full draft because I knew I had had a second kid and a lot going on at home. And I knew I couldn't just go plop myself in Lucknow for months on end. Uh, I needed to make a very kind of surgical mission (laughs) Yeah, and know exactly what what I needed to see and who I needed to talk to, um, and if I did that, that too soon, that was probably helpful because again, you you did know what you needed to find out. And exactly. Yeah, um, I had the I had an amazing week there, chock full yeah. but amazing. And I went to all the places that were in my book because I'd already drafted it, and I knew the places that were going to be in my book, uh, yeah. and that was that was fabulous. Um, you know, and then there was that in between time where like, then I had to drop to the second book for a while because finally my first book got published and I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of uh, promotion myself. And because my press didn't, my, my She Writes Press didn't at the time offer much promotion. So I did a lot of that. Again, I learned by doing uh, and uh, how to set up events, how to do a good author reading, Um, I incorporated dance into my readings to do something a little different. Um, So I've continued to kind of meld things, do merge things that I enjoy and different fields and then trying to figure out within that space how to do things creatively. Um, My second book took a little less time to write uh, and it actually is on submission now. So everybody cross your fingers for me, please, on this International Women's Day. Send my book. Lots of luck. Um, because my agent just sent it out to editors yesterday. That's a very scary, <laughs> a very scary uh, place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the the writing part. I mean, in summary, um, and yeah. So, in the process of learning by doing, I learned that a lot of people are really frustrated with the publishing process. <laughs> it's not just me, um, and. Uh, you know, the whole publishing model is, is well, I'm going to get really just to the basics of why Henriette and I want to start our own publishing company. I will confess we're a little panicked. It's a huge endeavor. It's like, I just turned 50. I have my second book coming out. I'm writing on my, writing my third. Like, do I really want to be launching into something so huge? And it feels particularly huge because the 
I'm going to be, we're going to be taking on other people's work and it's their, a piece of them, you know, a piece of their, their soul, you know, and I, I feel like we're going to need to take such good care of it. Um, but honestly, that's why I want to do it too, because so many writers I know have been like heartbroken and I'm, I don't say that lightly, but they put so much into their work and their writing and many people I know whose work is wonderful and I really think should be out there and that readers will want to read, I'm confident of that, um, are not managing to get their work published in sort of the traditional way and don't necessarily have the desire, wherewithal, finances, whatever, to do it, you know, in another way, to finance it themselves, to self-publish. And so, um, so I want to help. I want to help people. And I want to help place books in readers' hands that don't necessarily, and I say I, but Henriette and I are very aligned on this. Um, we want to place books in readers' hands that we know readers will love. Um, and that don't necessarily fall into the existing categories that publishers list books as or that bookstores put on their shelves. I mean, bookstores have to know what shelf to put their book on, but I don't know. I think our society is just going more and more towards things being mixed. Um, and I say mixed, I feel it's very important to maintain the, the integrity when you're mixing two things, not to just make a mush, right? So that, uh, but that you would maintain the integrity of part A and part B. And when you put them together, this wonderful part C emerges. Um, and so, and I, we want to, you know, we value voices that have been historically been marginalized and that may be having trouble getting heard. Um, and we want to, this is really basic, but we want to treat authors with respect and dignity, we want to respond to them. I have had so many queries to agents that never got a response. And I understand agents are overwhelmed. The, and the, and the, I don't want to paint a negative picture of agents. They're wonderful and a lot of them do amazing work. And, and um, but they're overwhelmed. This one agent I know told me she had at some point 1500 queries in her inbox. And she's like, I can't, I'm a, one human being. I can't do that. Um, and so she ended up, she said, I had to delete the last thousand. Though, and I just hope that people will requery me because I just physically can't respond. So I get it. But on the on the author side, that is devastating. Um, I mean, I even sent a, I sent a, a manuscript to somebody who had requested the full thing after reading pages. And I never, ever heard from her again. Which is which is typical. Most writers, um, agents, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be those, those people all the time. I know. I yeah, know. I, I tell my I tell I, uh, my students and friends that because because they get so hurt by it, and I'm like, this is this is typical. They're so overwhelmed, and and it shouldn't be though. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be. be. That's the thing. We shake our heads and we say it's typical, but there has to be a model in like what other industry works like that. Yeah. What other industry can you? provide this huge body of work and never get acknowledged. So, you know, and I don't, I don't blame agents and I don't blame editors, but the, the sort of system is designed for frustrations at every level. And 
So we're feeling like there's got to be a different way and we're going to start from scratch. And maybe we're naive in some ways, uh, but maybe that naivete will help us. You know, sometimes if you're naive about something, you just do. And then like, it works because you're not as hung up on, well, this is not the way it's done. Or So we're doing a lot of research and a lot of talking to people, um, agents and editors and publicists and bookstore owners and printers and authors and readers. We just did a big reader survey, which I think you, you mentioned on your podcast. So thank you. Um, and yeah, just really trying to think of how can we do things differently as an urban planner? Um, you know, we're looking at, we're trying to think what workflow processes can we bring in from other industries? Um, how can, I'm a, I've been a project manager and an infrastructure planner, and it's like, how can we consider the book as a project that a team is working on? How can we bring in even some ideas from civil engineering? You look at like the big dig, you know, which was for those who are not in Boston or arrived more recently, this massive undertaking of putting underground a whole system of, of, um, of uh, overpasses and highways while still enabling cars to move. Yeah. And so what can we draw from that uh, to, to bring a book, you know, into readers' hands and then to, to offer a richer experience for the reader? opportunities to connect with the author. I mean, authors love that, right? I, I'm generalizing. Maybe there's some authors who don't, but I love hearing from readers and knowing and engaging in some form of conversation, being able to offer them, you know, the photos that I took on my trip to Lucknow, of the places that are featured in my book, or um, uh, somebody's commenting, cars often don't move faster in construction. That's true. It's true. <laughs> And, and figuring a way for them to move during construction is important as well. So, um, so that's our motivation. You know, it's, we're trying to approach uh, how things are done all the way from how submissions are, like what is being submitted and, and how submissions are handled and the collaboration with authors and then the marketing, where books are available and for how long and um, one of the things that I love that you so we had dinner recently and she talked about um so and I don't think you've mentioned this yet um actually um what was it like scheduling your query reading with that was yeah that was me telling you that yes with yeah. with the writer yeah and can yes. you talk about that idea more? Because I thought that was pretty fascinating. As, yeah. as a way to avoid this ghosting. Exactly. And as a way to avoid um waiting for i don't know six months a year for the rest of your life um to yeah hear no yeah people ask like well how are you going to do this right yeah. nobody else has figured it out why what makes you think you're going to so we are thinking of a um sort of open table you know for those of you who make dinner reservations somewhere you go on and you you there's a slots you look for a 515 and they are 515 why 515 i don't need it 515 look for 715 and you see if there's tables available. So we'd like to do something similar where we assess on every every Monday morning or whenever it is, Sunday evening, we decide, okay, we have the capacity to handle X number of queries this week. Could be five, could be 20, whatever it is, we're gonna commit. And then we're gonna open up slots and we're going to not always do this, open them up at the same time each week because people have different work schedules and night shifts and early 
So we'll figure out some rotation, which we'll post on our website. And, um, and people will know if they couldn't make it this week, they could make it next week. Um, and, and we're not going to set specific times, right? It's not like we're going to sit down and Zoom with people, but we'll say this week there's X number of slots. Grab one if you can. Uh, and, um, and then we will promise that those few people whose queries we get to look at, we will respond to by the end of the week. So nobody will be wondering that, you know, if we're successful enough, people, there'll be enough demand and maybe people will get frustrated they didn't get a slot. If that's our problem, we'll deal with it. I think that's a better problem to have than people who are just pissed off that they don't hear from you at all. And we'll be clear that we need, you know, this is our commitment to you, but your commitment to us is that you have your work ready, right? And that if we ask for your manuscript, it's ready. So don't query if you don't have a manuscript that's ready because we're gonna set aside time for it and you know maybe two weeks or whatever it's gonna be and we guarantee a response, but you have to guarantee that this is your best work and that it's ready. Yes. Um, and then and, don't you know, write them again a week later and say, oh, can you read this um, version instead? Yes. No, yeah. No. <laughs> you can sign up for another slot if you want. But yeah. so so that's our idea is really and then to be able to um, move forward in that way, in a collaborative way, to have a kickoff meeting with the whole team, with, um, you know, marketing and design and editorial all together. There is no reason it has to take 18 months at least sometimes two years from when a contract is signed to when the book comes out. Like, because it doesn't need to be the sequential thing where editorial spends like months and then they pass it on to cover design and then it goes to interior design and then da, 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 da. like we can all have a kickoff meeting with the, with the author and, and get things going in a sort of parallel, parallel track. Well, some, some, um, publishers do say, well, a lot of that time that writers don't even realize is that they need to get, they need to be contacting and getting ARCs to magazines and newspapers and other possible readers six months ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so there still is going to be probably yes. at least a year. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is getting it in other people's hands. Well, the, the industry is also built around this, these long lead times, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to figure out how we deal with that, um, that, you know, bookstores order books way in advance and we can't do things too quickly or we'll, you know, we won't know enough in advance what our next books are. So we are, we're working on all that, you know, what are the areas in which we can really innovate and what are the areas in which we are still going to be beholden to the system? Yeah. Yeah, and and um, and Anjali's also got great ideas about how to get the books in bookstores mm -hmm. without having to deal with returns. Fingers <laughs> <Your spouse. laughs> We'll see. So just just rethinking. And there are actually some other um, smaller publishing groups that are are really trying to rethink the publishing process. So there's mm -hmm. some there are there are there's a number of, of innovative. There's a lot of innovation going on, and yeah. we're hoping that the more and more more and more publishing, new publishing companies do things differently and set different expectations that eventually there'll be some pressure on the monoliths to do things differently too. But yeah, exactly. We'll see. Okay. We're, okay. I wish we could talk more about this. I'm super <laughs> excited. So we might have to have a second section. And Henriette Lazarita is also in on this publishing. Yeah. 
Um, and so she is a writer that we've had on the podcast. Um, so just to do my normal spiel, um, remember, if you want to find out, listen to more of these, watch more of these webinars, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. We also still have all our 50 days, our first 50 days from the fall on there. So you can find that. Um, if you want to join the daily webinars, you can still um, email me at 7am, uh, uh, novelist at substack.com and you can find the podcast version on your favorite podcast platforms um, and you can also find uh, we have a bookshop page uh, called just search for 7am novelist or michelle hoover and we have all our guest books on there Anja, you're gonna be able to get some writing done today so um i have a busy day uh, of including work with galliot press which is the name of the press but um i was actually awake from like 3.30 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. because that happens sometimes. And I've learned that sometimes when I wake up at that hour, if I don't fall right back asleep, I'm going to be up for two hours. So um, I have started actually trying to use that time uh, to think about what I'm working on and think about a scene and hope that that crowds out other useless stupidities of the day and makes me feel productive. So I kind of have already done some writing in my head in my bed <laughs> Which I think I wanted to mention this because I think um I so I call I call that 3 a.m hour Amity hour because it's also I think it was at 2 41 a.m in the Amity horror show that the guy woke up and he can't <laughs> sleep and he killed his entire family <laughs> so instead of killing your entire family yes. when, you're, when you're lying there it might be more productive um to to try to get some writing done you know put that creative angry energy into um um uh, writing and um and I also recommend we were also talking about I use writing I use thinking about my writing as a sleep aid going to yep. sleep thinking about a problem I'm having or and the brain works at night right it, it, yeah. it you may find then when you sit back down in the morning that something's gotten unlocked or some idea yeah because there's so many and there's so much so much we can't control in our world and we certainly can't control how our story is going to be received or or if it'll be published but we can control what goes into it that's still our world we're still the god of that world absolutely um, so everyone nice go back to your writing desk be the god of your world for a little while this morning and thank you so much thank you anjali for being with us and have a wonderful writing day thank you so much there isn't nothing here.